Hi, I'm Adrian Albert, CEO of the Marketing Directors, and you're listening to Real Direct. In this series, we'll be speaking to great minds and the future of residential real estate. Joining me now is Jay Neveloff, renowned real estate attorney and partner at Kramer Levin. He advises a broad range of clients involved with the development, ownership, and financing of real estate projects in New York City and throughout the country. If I mention names like Time Warner Center, Plaza Hotel, most hotel condominium projects in the city, you would connect them with Jane Neveloff. According to Chambers, Jay is one of the best real estate lawyers in New York, and as someone who has known Jay for many years, I can say he is a phenomenal and very creative attorney. And today, I have the privilege to present to you Jay Neveloff. Jay, thanks so much for joining me on Real Direct. Let's get right to it. How has the legal process changed since COVID? A lot of things have changed since COVID. The, the biggest change is, is really the, the difficulty in getting people back into the office. So that's, not, that's sort of a macro observation. I know that in, in our law firm, we want people in three days a week. My real estate group knows that I want them in four days a week, and by and large, they're doing it. But throughout COVID and throughout the challenges of remote working, and the, ch- and the challenges were many and the challenges were steep, I think we did a terrific job in, in managing that transition from in the office to remote. And now we're, it's a hybrid. It's some of it's remote, some of it's in person. I clearly, for commercial meetings, the internal meetings, have a strong preference for in the office. I think that being in touch with clients is critical to everything that we do. And it's much better to relate to a client face-to-face. There's just no, there's no substitution. Zoom is great. Teams is great. But nothing beats being in person. There are all sorts of challenges. I, I suspect we'll talk about how we coped with remote, how we're using remote to our advantage now. And it's all, we're, we're learning, we're learning to take advantage of the spectacular technology. And we're seeing that in a, in a lot of different venues, not just closings or contracts. Behind the scenes, we're always looking at different developments. And, and it's not artificial intelligence at all, but it's different ways to be more efficient. I second everything you've said. We have found here that people wanted to come back to the office because they missed the camaraderie. They missed the exchange of ideas. They missed the energy I'm thrilled that they're here. It really makes a huge difference in our business. The clients want, it's not the camaraderie so much. They want the exchange of ideas because several minds are greater than, than a single mind, as great as that single mind may be. And just in casual conversations, you'll get a cup of coffee and somebody may be talking about a challenging situation they've got or a crazy call they just had. And that sparks a conversation. So much comes out of those casual conversations. It just, it just really is remarkable. I agree a hundred percent. You mentioned that you're doing closings. Are you doing closings remotely? Let's go back to mid March of 2020 when we were all justifiably concerned. We were talking about bail earlier. I had just come back from the the, the Silverstein ski trip. That was that turned out to be the super spreader. So we're we're trying to to manage in the commercial world. Closings really had been remote. They called them title closing, uh, escrow closings. Everything would go to the title company, and it was done remotely. 
that was unheard of in residential. And so one of the challenges that we all, everybody in the industry faced was getting the lenders comfortable. That happened pretty quickly. It's just astounding. The remote closings are much more efficient. People go to closing, they'd be there for hours. They'd be waiting for wires to, to clear. They would run back and forth because the, the certified bank check was, was wrong for one reason or other. And it would take hours and people would sit there and be frustrated. Our lawyers and paralegals would be tied up. It would be inefficient. We've got it to a point where it's much more efficient. It's, it's more cost effective. And at a closing, at least the closings, we were talking about this earlier, the closings in my world, it's just process. The deal's not changing at the closing table. So it's much better. If there are problems, people would be buying, buying apartments, think there are punch list issues, that's worked out before the closing closings process. We've been just amazing. We still keep track of it for some reason. Since March 16, 2020, we've done over $4 billion worth of remote closings of condos, just of condos, not of, not of their commercial deals, $4 billion. Wow. That's quite an achievement. I know some people have had difficulties with notarizing documents at a remote closing. How have you solved that? That's a bit of a challenge. Our firm, a lot of the big firms, we really don't have our notaries do remote notarizations. There are plenty of services that will do it. If you think about it a day or two before the closing, somebody's going to get something notarized. They just will. It's not so difficult. It happens. People forget. People Things come up. There are ways to get it done remotely. We, just as a policy, don't, don't think it's a, it's a good risk for our firm to take. But it's, it's very doable. You mentioned that the world is changing around us. What laws are changing that affect real estate development going forward? There are a variety of laws. From the basic ones that we read about, about whether our real estate tax abatements are going to be available, that's a hot topic. And it's a dollar topic. And it's like everything else, it's a political topic. You always have to be like, for owners of buildings, and this isn't really a condo co-op sort of concept, uh, people looking at whether there's going to be evictions are going to be available if people don't pay their rent. And they, they call that good cause eviction, whatever that is. How long does that process take? Right now in the current law, it'll it'll take many months. It's it's not simple. It's not a, an area that I practice in, but we use other law firms to do that. It could take six, seven, eight months. It just takes a long time. But the legislative questions are really, really interesting. And I'm going to mention something uh, a law that was just signed into effect in Florida. And I know that's not New York, but it's an indication. There was a law signed in Florida that if somebody of specific nationalities, Chinese, Russian, I don't remember what the other nationalities are, if they have any ownership interest in an entity, that entity cannot buy real estate in Florida. It's insane. Wow. I wanted to see your reaction to that. Will that ever happen in New York? No. Not even... A remote chance, a theoretical chance, a remote chance. There's a lot of, every place has a lot of politics. The world is polarized in terms of politics. What we all have to be mindful of are these oddball sorts of, of legislations that, that come up. And the media and the interest groups are pretty good at, at, at looking at it. One law that people who do orphan plans are spending a lot of time thinking about is Local Law 97, which is a law that deals with pollution, I'll call it simple, simple like pollution. And there are buildings that are older buildings that were built, even if they haven't been sold, if they've been built and sort of in, on a slow burn in terms of completing construction, 
they may not comply with this law. Or there are projections which say a building that's up now will comply with it, but but in a few years, as the standards change, won't comply. Those are disclosure issues. Nobody quite knows what the penalties will be. So in, in one way, it's scary, but to me, it's not scary. There, 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 is, there is no way, there is just no realistic way that the penalties will be so draconian that every building is be paying big fines. Is that a theoretical risk? Yes. But it's something that everybody's looking at and watching. And I'm sure, Adrian, you're uh, the buildings that you're, you're marketing or will be marketing are working carefully at, what are you going to say? Not a big deal, but, but it's out there. Oh, you have to be careful, and it is out there. And I know a lot of older buildings are struggling now with issues like gas stoves. For example, years ago, you didn't need a special permit to have a gas stove in your apartment. Today, you do. It's a very different world. But at the end of the day, while we may think politicians are crazy, they're not that crazy. People have to live. It's a city where housing is, is a housing crisis. People, there's a shortage of housing. There's certainly a shortage of, of affordable housing. It's just not conceivable that New York, not going to talk for Florida, but New York. Hope you're right. So let me ask you, do you think that the general legal issues in New York are becoming more restrictive, or do you think that they're less restrictive and more manageable now than, let's say, pre-COVID? Maybe this is perspective. I have to tell you something. I, I think you're all manageable. People may make wacko proposals in, in the city council, go to the state legislature, I might not have agreed with everything that gets adopted. There's nothing in New York City, in New York State, that's so crazy that I perceive it as a risk. I've always been bullish on New York real estate. I believe with my, my full heart that the market has, has always has a cycle, and it always will have a cycle. New York is still the center of the universe as far as I'm concerned. There may be legislative things that come up and get written about. I don't have a care in the world about those sorts of things in a big way. What do I care about that could be a legislative risk? If I'm an investment fund, if I'm an owner, I'm going to buy residential property. Will I evaluate the potential for legislative changes that might make my ownership more challenging? Absolutely. But for an individual kind of not a worry at all. And I'm paid to worry. I'm, I'm not worried. That's good to hear. Given the large number of foreign buyers in New York City, what pitfalls should be avoided? You know, we, we went through a whole period where, where the industry was concerned that the sky was going to fall because it disclosed CFIUS disclosures. We really had to disclose who the beneficial owners are of property. You know better than me if that's had a material impact on the market. Maybe it has diverted some people who are moving money around to not move it into U.S. real estate and New York real estate. I haven't noticed a meaningful change. We have plenty of offshore clients. One way or another, they're not concerned. They're, they're just doing it. So do I think for a farm buyer, there's, there are legislative risks? No, I think there's withholding. There's a whole withholding tax system for profits. Again, as I said before, I think New York, New York City, New York State elected officials often do things that I don't agree with. I, I just, they just not doing anything so crazy. New York is the money center of the world, period. Well, it's home for me also. So I'm 100% pro-New York. What advice can you give developers just entering the New York City marketplace? It's not for the faint of heart. New York is sophisticated. 
building in New York is a challenge. Building, developing in New York is probably more complex than anywhere else in the world. I think you need you need the right team. So what's the right team? Right team. It's not only smart people in New York. We have plenty of smart people. A lot of smart people. You need you need somebody that you can have a conversation with that you relate to, where you communicate. I know that when I hire, I'm often asked by lawyers that I'm interviewing, "What are you looking for?" And my answer is, anybody who I'm interviewing is 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 in a general range of intelligence. Any people I like, any people I can talk to, I feel comfortable with. So any developer needs advisors, marketing lawyers, publicists, lobbyists, architects that that they could communicate with, that they could share ideas with, that there's give and take, and it's an accretive process as opposed to the dictative process. So I think that's important. I think availability is important. If I need somebody, I want them. The developer is paying a lot of money in one fashion or other to the developers. They don't want to leave a message on a Friday afternoon and not get a return call until Monday afternoon. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable for my lawyers. If I leave a message for somebody on Friday, I expect a call back Friday night from from my big team. And if I don't, I'm starting to get antsy. By Saturday afternoon, I'm more than antsy. So I'm one of, I want access. I want availability. But the give and take, there's a substitute for the give and take. A lot of people are smart, but you, you need that communication. You need, it's, it's teamwork. There's, I'm told there's a course at Harvard Business School. Maybe Harvard is a business school or Harvard Law School. It's team building, and it, it shows it demonstrates that people can solve problems very well. But when you take those people, and later in the semester they put them on teams, they do a lot better. Well, you and I have sat in meetings over the years where there's a lot of give and take with some very difficult people who who aren't used to having a give and take. It's it's that's my way. Thank you very much. Next topic: that give and take is critical, and and some of those meetings that you and I have sat in are phenomenal because something accretive comes out of those meetings. And they're stimulating and they're exciting. Yes. They're one of the best parts of the business. Yes. So you deal with a wide range of all aspects of real estate. Where is the action in the five boroughs today? It's really only four boroughs, first of all. <laughs> I, um, I agree. <laughs> I am a huge fan of Long Island City and always have been. I'm just shocked that it took so long for the market to realize that that all other cities is one stop away. It's one stop away from here. It, it's just one stop away. Looking at the skyline for for Long Island City is is priceless. So so I think there's a big push there. I deservedly so. I think Williamsburg, there's a lot going on. I don't know that there's much more there. And I think the pricing in Williamsburg is is is, is aggressive. If I think about the Bronx, I think there's a lot going on in the Bronx. It dep- again, it depends on the price point. I, I, one of my passions is affordable housing, and I know there are workforce housing, different types of housing in different parts of the Bronx, and I, and I think that's great. But if I think about Manhattan and, and the areas that I think are, are undervalued, I think that the areas surrounding Hudson Yards are, 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 are going to keep on going up because there, there's a, there's a little bit of a frontier between Midtown and Hudson Yards, and that can be closed pretty quickly. I've always loved Gramercy. I just love Gramercy. I love that neighborhood. I know it's a lot of, a lot of older buildings, but I love, I love the neighborhood. 
So there's a bunch of other places, uh, depending on the market. Hell's Kitchen is seen a rebirth. There's, there's a lot of synergies because of the proximity to Broadway and proximity to Midtown Manhattan. I don't believe that Midtown as an office space is dead at all. I think Midtown is, is still great and vibrant and I need to invest in that area. Just going back to the five boroughs, I would also include, although technically not, the Jersey Gold Coast and Jersey City in particular. It's phenomenal what's been going on there and the opportunities. That so some of the best deals that I did on commercial acquisitions and things were along the Jersey City corridor. And like great stories. And that's an area that's still continuing to grow and is extremely viable. And if you look at it 20 years ago, Maybe there was nothing there. It, it was a bunch of vacant, dilapidated warehouses, empty land. People like Arthur and Perrotto were visionaries. Is there any new technology in your world that makes it more difficult to do business? No, not at all. Not um, at all. I can't think of anything. Everything that we're looking at enhances our efficiency, makes us produce a better product faster. I love being accessible anywhere in the world. So so in, in the old days, I'd be on vacation. I would go someplace. First, I have to buy a pay photo. Right? I'd have to sit in my hotel room. I could remember being taking a conference call on the, on the Mekong River, say I spent like five years of my college days trying to avoid being there. And now I'm on a conference call on the Mekong River. No, I think I think the technology of being is is is, a, is challenging. I think it's so much it's so much better. I you know, so we've been doing this for a long time. I remember faxes used to take like five minutes a page, and somebody would say, "Well, I'm going to fax something." You'd say, "All right, I'll read it tomorrow." Now you know, thirty seconds, and you're going to read it on your phone or wherever you are. And you have to be as a lawyer, you have to be careful. You could do a quick read that way. But you, you, you have to train yourself to slow down and say, okay, I looked at it really quickly on my phone. God knows what I missed, but here's an initial read. So, no, I, I think the technology is great. So what do you think developers should think more about before they take the plunge? What area are they weak in for the most part? You probably see this aspect a lot more than I do. I think that, that some developers who, who are new overestimate pricing <laughs> they have a vision that just because somebody got x dollars a foot that they're going to get x dollars a foot. i i think that people don't appreciate that the time value of money all the time and the and the time for absorption especially in this pocket i think that the capital stack and this would be an aspect that you wouldn't always see that you're underestimating their term or they're agreeing to uh, changes in the interest rate as you get further on. I I know that it takes a long time to sell if you want the pricing that you're hoping to get. There's a direct correlation between time of absorption and pricing. It's just basic economics. So I think that's where the optimism of the developer sometimes clouds their judgment. You have put together an excellent team at Craig 11. How do you choose your next lawyer? How do you choose the next person who's going to join your team? I came to Craig 11 as a young partner. I was, you know, one of my mentors, Don Siska. 
great mentors. I was I was blessed with with having three terrific mentors: Don Sistine, Ben Apolikoff, and and Ben Nidell, who who left the group early on, and, and they all had very different strengths. So I knew when I went to Kremlin that the most important thing, the most important thing, was talent. So in building the team, and I I give this advice to a lot of people: it's talent. It's it's talent and people you feel comfortable with. So every one of the real estate people at Kramer Lab were either people I trained or I hired laterally, almost, almost without exception as associates, and, and groomed. So when I hire people, and I, I said this earlier, I need people that I could relate to. Last night, we had a, a cocktail party, and my wife was there. And, and my wife knows the lawyer went She'll she'll know who I'm on the phone with, even not by name, but just by the ease of my speaking and how freely I speak and exchange of ideas. That exchange of ideas between me and even the most junior associate is critical. So for me, you have to be smart. And I don't know if I use this word, is is a no asshole policy. I don't need screamers. I don't need jerks. You all develop a style of negotiating. And, And dare I say, I was probably really impossible as a young lawyer. And there's, there's just no substitute for being a jerk. And I want people who I feel like any problem solvers. Because our biggest job, a monkey could process documents. A monkey could draft the country, truly. It's what you do with it. So so when people ask, am I concerned about artificial intelligence? I, I mean, I'm concerned about it on a theoretical level. Do I ever see artificial intelligence doing what, what we do? Ultimately, no. Are there aspects of it that can make our make what we do more efficient? more cost-efficient for clients, 100%. And probably better in some respects, at the end of the day, clients come to us for judgment. And we have, it's a work app. We're in a work team. Most of the people who are the clients app, they studied this in business school. Yeah, I read about that that, that work. And I, you know, I read about that happening, this happening. The deal's more complicated. The, the capital stack is more complex. So what do I want? I want, I want smart. I want a nice person. I want somebody who is terrific with clients, but like somebody who's going to think and go home and take a step back and say, okay, what are my risks? How do I solve this problem? How do I, how do I deal with, with the, the lawyer on the other side if the lawyer is a jerk? I went to thinking about that. I went to talking about that. So, so that, that's my criteria. So you, you just have to feel it. You, you know, it's, it's sort of what's the definition of pornography. You, you know it when you see it. That's how I feel. That's great. I could sit with you forever, but I think that's probably about all the time we have for today. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with me. Thank you very much. To learn more about Jane Neveloff, please visit KramerLevin.com. And to learn more about the marketing directors, please visit TheMarketingDirectorsInc.com. I'm Adrian Albert. Thank you for listening to Real Direct, elevating residential real estate.